0: The God of the everyday provides us with daily bread.
1: Hello and welcome to You Matter, a Spring Hills podcast. I'm Josh Meyer. Thanks for joining us today on our Going Deeper episode. Our Going Deeper episodes give you the opportunity to go theologically deeper and uncover gems of scriptural truth to enhance your spiritual formation journey. As our church grows, we want you to feel loved and cared for. And a part of caring for someone is allowing our hearts to be seen so that you can feel intimately connected to us as we love, live, and lead like Jesus Christ. Today, we are going deeper on this past weekend's sermon titled, Faith That Works, with the scripture of James chapter 2. Today, I have Pastor Tom on the show to help me go deeper. Pastor Tom, how's it going? Josh, I'm doing great. I am having a fantastic
0: Tuesday, and I'm very excited about shooting this pod with you today, my friend.
1: Shooting this pod. We're getting after some abbreviations there. I like it. All right. Who has time to say the word podcast When
0: you can just say pod
1: Right, seriously We're just, you know we're Too cool for school on that one Alright, so hey, look um, Aside from the fact that the Buckeyes are 7-0 and And things are looking up and up Although we don't have a five-star quarterback at the helm It seems like um, Energies are good I feel like at the church, you're really in a nice little rhythm there. I'm feeling led spiritually at the heart level by the sermons that you're giving. So thank, thank you. you so much for that. I do know that this is part of the reason why we created what we're creating here, to let our congregation know how much we love them. And all of you out there who have maybe have not never attended our church, that we love you so much. This is an opportunity for you to know Pastor Tom's heart and for you to get some more fruit as to what he just couldn't simply cover In the church sermon, so Tom, this past week, what did you want to go after but you couldn't? Yeah, thanks, Josh. I I always
0: appreciate this question. You know, when I was preparing the sermon and preparing to preach, um, it's it's a long section of scripture. It was all of James chapter two. That's twenty six verses specifically, and I knew it would probably feel more like a survey, you know, of James chapter two than than me going verse by verse through it. Something that James does say that I didn't really touch on in the sermon, but I would like to talk about right now, actually happens in James chapter 2, verse 5. Now, just listen to this, Josh. James says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? So, really, James is saying to us, and I want all the podcast listeners to just think about this for a second. James is saying to us, those who are poor— those who do not have as much physical wealth uh, actually have a spiritual advantage. They have an advantage spiritually. And what we understand that advantage to be is that if you possess physical wealth um, in abundance or you're comfortable, um, you're not worried about, you know, where your next meal is going to come from, you're not worried about um, paying for your kids' college, you're not worried about, can I afford a car, um, then... then um, You're disadvantaged, James says. If you're, the the rich are disadvantaged and the poor are advantaged. Why? Why would that be? And here's why. Uh, because when you're poor, you have to depend on God. God, you, you understand clearly. The God is your source for all that you need in life. You never mistake the fact that, yeah, I can just pay for that myself. Or yeah, I'll take that out of, out of, out of petty cash for the week. Or yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of miscellaneous uh, money in my budget. So I'll just pay for that. No problem. You really are focused on God as the supply and the provision of your life. And James brings that that really in focus to us. And I think you know, in our community, we're we're here in Granville, Ohio, and um, Licking County, Ohio, specifically. And and there are some in our congregation and our community that struggle financially, and some that struggle mightily financially. And we do a lot as a church to help them out. We we have a food pantry here. We do things like. Thanksgiving baskets or giving meals to families for Thanksgiving. And we want, we want to help. We want to be a source of help in our community. We've got a ministry called His Hope, where we also pay medical bills and help with utilities. And, you know, we're very careful never to give money, um, but we'll help pay bills for people and, and, and stand in the gap for them um, in that way. Um, but most people, you know, in Licking County and most that come to Spring Hills are in a financial position where they might need to be reminded of this principle from James, having financial wealth can be a spiritual disadvantage. So so the way you the way you overcome that to have the advantage is see your wealth in the right way. Sometimes that that verse uh, is misquoted that says, uh, money is the, the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. The verse says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Um, we, want, we really want to think of money and wealth in the right way. We want to see it the right way, which is to say, um, I can't depend on my wealth. I have to depend on God. Even though I have a steady income and I'm not living paycheck to paycheck, somebody should say to themselves, I still have to see everything I own belongs to God. Every blessing I have comes from God. And I depend on God as my source, my strength, my peace, my life. God is who I'm depending on. When you are disadvantaged financially, it's easy to see that. When you're more advantaged financially, you've got to work to see the reality. Now, I do think the Bible gives us actually a a very interesting reframing of wealth, and I'm going to read that, Josh, to you right now and our podcast listeners. Uh, This is in Proverbs chapter 30, and Proverbs chapter 30 is attributed to a man named Agar. And Agar prays a prayer in Proverbs 30. Let me read the prayer to you. Agar says in verse 7, he prays this, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Give me neither, listen, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Very interesting. Don't let me be poor, God. Don't let me be rich. Just give me my daily bread. Why? The next verse says so. Here's why. Verse 9. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my god. Actually in this verse 9 we see the heart of what James is saying in James chapter 2, which is the idea that if you are financially wealthy, you might and this is what Proverbs you know 39 says, you might disown god by saying, who's god? I don't need god. I have everything I need in the material wealth that I possess. Now, also he's praying, don't let me become poor, because I don't want to become poor, and then I might contemplate stealing, you know, to have what I need. And he prays this beautiful thing, and people have spiritualized this, but it also applies in a very practical way. God, just give me today my daily bread. Now it becomes spiritualized mm-hmm. because Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, "Give us today our daily bread," um, and some say he's talking about communion or he's talking about spiritual fellowship with God. That's that's the daily bread, but but really he's no doubt praying Jesus and also Agar for, "Give me just what I need for today." Just my daily bread because God, I depend on you. Josh, I love the look on your face. Podcast listeners, you can't see it. It's it's a it's a majestic
1: look on uh, Josh Meyer's face right now. What are you thinking, Josh, as I as I talk about this? Uh, oh my gosh. I'm just I, I'm getting excited at the proverb itself and how it sheds light on this. And I think the reality and from what I'm hearing from you is that it Agar is asking for the dependency on the God of the everyday. Mm -hmm. And that in our affluence, we can operate from the flesh and almost feel like we don't need God. And then from our... You know, maybe from a place of being so deprived and the physical, you know, maybe poor and things, we can function to, to say the flesh will operate out of that posture and, you know, want to steal and take for itself to need what its daily sustenance is. And it, honestly, it was painting a picture for me because it was taking me back to when I was a little boy and my aunt had passed away and we had taken in five of her nine children Wow, for try. a short period mm-hmm. of time. Hmm. and so my brothers and I went to a parochial school, a Christian school at that time, but we couldn't afford to take, in the interim, five of my cousins and send them to a a Christian school. We had one income or like one and a half incomes and my parents could really just barely make ends meet as it is, but we felt called by God to help take in Mm -hmm. our cousins. It was a very special time for me remembering to kind of almost feeling like I had older siblings and some younger siblings at the time. It was a very small, tiny white house and we were jam-packed in there and a lot of love. But what I learned later down the road was that we had just enough every day Mm -hmm. even to the point when my parents knew that maybe the next day they might not have enough food and then people from church would anonymously show up and drop off grocery bags on Mm -hmm. our front door beautiful and so it's that tension of being not totally deprived you know, financially, but not being so affluent that you don't realize the God of the everyday. Right. And so, there you are sitting in that place. And I guess that's just what it took me to. Like, you telling that story and reading directly from Proverbs was just taking me back. It was like flashback, you know, to that moment in time. I'm really liking, Josh, that phrase you're using.
0: And I'd like to use it and just say, the God of the everyday provides us with daily bread. Now, now let's do this. I, I said before, some people spiritualize it, but I think in both the Lord's Prayer and in this prayer in Proverbs 30, it is practical. It's practical daily bread. But you know what? It's not wrong, podcast listeners, to spiritualize it. I need the God of the everyday to give me spiritual daily bread to sustain me. I don't want to go once a week on spiritual bread. I don't want to go Sunday morning or Saturday night to church and get my cup filled up, you know, and then have to go a full week before I have a spiritual renewing or I get more bread from God to eat. The manna came every day. And that spiritual bread, that spiritual God of the everyday providing daily bread for us, just like that manna in the wilderness, it should be a daily expectation. God is here to provide what I need physically, emotionally, spiritually, but I got to reach for it. I got to go, I got to go to him, seek him and then have him give to me that fresh, hot, Daily bread of the spirit that I also
1: can can move on. So, so I know we got more topics in this podcast. Let's do it, man. What's what's question number? Oh two? my gosh! Well, there's so many different things here, but we do have a question from a member. Excellent. And so I'm going to read it to you and then kind of see what your thoughts are. So, this is the question that came in via email. Pastor Tom presented three reasons why God is concerned about our love and lack of favoritism. The second reason he highlighted was God's interest in how we perceive His children. We, He went on to define God's children as encompassing everyone. Could you provide more insight into the concept of who qualifies as God's children? According to scripture, it appears that we are adopted as God's children, both sons and daughters, when we experience spiritual rebirth. If this is the case, why did Pastor Tom seem to imply that all people are considered God's children? Perhaps he intended to convey that God is concerned about how we view His creation and other individuals.
0: Yeah, I'm very happy to take this question, and I'm glad I'm glad that the member you know was able to email it in and and have us address it. Um, I did you know each of the three services you know Saturday and then both on Sunday when I went to this point that the reason why it's important that we love our neighbors as ourselves is because God cares how we view his children. And I actually did say all three times, um, and and now we're talking more specifically about Christians. So, I would agree with the question that would say we really would only consider someone a child of God if they have accepted Christ and they've been adopted as his children, as the the question says. Um, really, the Bible gives us that in both ways, it, it lets us conceive of ourselves as God's children, rather by being born again, that that would be you're, you're born as a child of God because you're born again, or you can think of yourself as an adopted child of God. The, the language is there really for both. Um, and I think the biblical language extends to both because it calls us to really understand this concept. Um, I am so made new in Christ that it's like I have been, or it is more literal. I literally have been born again again. But secondly, uh, God has adopted me. He's adopted me as his as son and daughter, and uh, as an heir and a co heir with Christ. Um, so I didn't I didn't mean to imply that. If someone has not accepted Christ, they, we would think of them as a child of God. We, we, we would think of them, like the question says, as God's creation, as someone God has created and someone that God dearly and desperately loves. Um, but I wasn't meaning to imply that they were children of God in that sense that we know those who've accepted Christ. I did feel, Josh, like that point I was making. And I know I got a little emotional when I was making the point, um, because I feel it in my heart that if someone, if someone loves my children, If someone sees my children for who they are and loves them, it really touches me. And I I do think... It's a practical thing to consider that when we love God's children, he's, he, it glorifies him. He's, he, you know, a term we sometimes use when we think of God, as we say, it just, it just makes God smile. Um, it just, it makes God so happy when we see one of his children. Um, and we're, and we're able to say, you know what? I do, because God loves you, I love you. Um, and I'm able to really receive that, you know, that from him as well. So that, that's my thought on question too. I'm glad it was asked. I'm glad to clarify it and answer it. Um, and it is a tricky concept because sometimes people will say, like, they're accepting an Emmy Award or something, and they're like, you know, we're all God's children, you know, or, or something along those lines. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean to imply that. I, I certainly uh, meant to imply uh, those who have accepted Christ are God's children, but also we should love them,
1: uh, love our neighbors as ourselves. Yeah. I think we should love all Absolutely, yes. creation as the, even the potential to yeah. be God's children as it, you know, as it, as it is called for our yeah. evangelism. I mean, the fact that we're made in the image of God. When you look at a person who hasn't even accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're originally given a unique creation so that they could resemble Christ when you look at them they just may be hollow vessels on the inside at that point in time is yeah. that is that too far to go I don't think so but you know I do think it's good for us to when you're taking when you're
0: doing an expository sermon so I'm going from scripture it's okay to expand it to a larger topic but you always want to start with the context of the scripture and certainly the context of James is written to Christians so when James is addressing us not to show favoritism it's actually in church you know what I mean and then he elevates it to love your neighbor as yourself he, he does does mean other Christians as your neighbors is kind of his implication. But then I did did go more broad and I did say, and love your enemies because we're quoting Jesus when we say that as well. So, hey, how about the next question, Josh?
1: Awesome. All right. So, sounds good. So, our next member actually identified a quote and then the question that comes out of that quote. So, um, there was a powerful quote that impacted them this past weekend. And the quote that you said was, you are never more like Jesus than when you love someone who is difficult to love. When you provided this statement in your sermon, what was stirring up in your heart? What thoughts came to mind that were inspired by God leading you to make this statement? Well,
0: I, I appreciate this question, and I, you know, I really enjoy it, um, this question. You know, when I think of me saying that this past weekend, you are never more like Jesus than when you love someone who is difficult to love. And I, I think I even said it uh, another time, you know, when you love your enemies, you're never more like Jesus than when you love those who persecute you or you love your enemies. I am 100% without question thinking of Jesus on the cross when I say that, that, that Jesus is on the cross and he says to God, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Um, I think the language of, and, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't overthink it. I just kind of like received it and said it. Um, I had written down to say that on my, on my notes. Um, could there be other times that you're more like jesus you know i don't i don't know if, if you want to like parse my words and say like um if you're blessing a child aren't you more like jesus when you bless a child or aren't you more like jesus if you're if you're you know baptizing someone or you know whatever i guess you would be more like john the baptist in that case but um but i liked it i like the phrase you're, you're never more like jesus um than when you're loving someone who is who is difficult to love and i'm thinking of him on the cross i'm thinking of him giving his life for us i'm thinking of him um just you know i'm also thinking of romans you know um, Um, where it says God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's, that's his love. Mm-hmm. So when we are loving someone who's still there, who's still in sin, who's not seeking God or, or, he's even making our lives difficult, um, then I think we are, we are very much like Jesus in that, in that sense. Um, we're more like ourselves if we hate our enemies and love those who love us. Mm, again, so quoting, true. again, quoting Jesus. Um, you know, it's easy, easy to love those who love you and hate those who hate you. Then we're like the world. Then we're like ourselves. Then we're like our flesh, but we're like Jesus if, if we're really able to love those, uh, that don't love us, we're able to we're able to receive that love from God. Let that love from God flourish in our hearts, and and then love others. And it kind of begs the question, Josh. And I don't want to go left turn on the podcast here, but it kind of begs the question: um, If I was listening to this podcast, I'd be thinking, couldn't you guys talk about how you do that? Like the fact that we should do it is not a mystery. It's very clear in Scripture that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, love our enemy. More more to the point, how? How do we begin to love people that are so difficult to love or so hard to love? And I would say a couple of thoughts about how we do it. Number one, first and foremost, I think that love comes from abiding in Christ. Number one, first and foremost, as we abide in Christ, as we are living our lives literally with him and through him, and we're walking through our day in prayer we're walking through our day including god thinking of god really grabbing that that fruit you know from that uh from that chapter in john 15 abiding in christ i think that makes all things possible but it makes loving our enemies possible um i did mention in the sermon last weekend josh that i, I had been to uh, jordan in a refugee camp and i i've been to iraq in a refugee camp and i was actually in iraq um and they arranged for us to meet a local pastor. Now, this pastor, um, his brother pastored a church in the city I was in, which is Erbil in northern Iraq. This pastor actually pastored a church in Baghdad, um, and he was one of the only pastors in the Middle East that was able to pastor uh, an evangelical church, which is kind of a rare thing in the Middle East. And see Muslims come to Christ. They call them uh, Muslim background believers. So they were Muslim and then they accepted Christ. And he did it through kind of a house church movement was kind of what he did. But then he, he pursued like once a quarter, all the house churches come together. And they would all come together, there was like 300 people coming together for worship. Muslim, you know, Muslims accepting Christ in the Middle East, especially in Iraq, is illegal against the law. You can't lead a Muslim to Christ. And so when he had one of these large gatherings, someone notified the police. The police came, they took him, and they put him in prison. And so he's sitting with us in Iraq telling us a story that he was about 23 hours a day, hands tied behind his back, on his knees, in a prison cell. Not just in a small cell, hands tied behind his back, on his knees, couldn't stand up. I mean, imagine how your body would feel, you know, 23 hours a day. The other hour they would let him walk, you know, in the, in the yard or whatever. And he literally said he sat there praying for his captives, praying for those, praying for a chance to share Christ with his guards, loving them, loving these people that were persecuting him because he understood what Jesus knew. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing—they're trying to defend a faith that is—it isn't real. Um, but I know Jesus, and He's real, and He's praying for that opportunity to share Christ with a guard. Um, and I think that's an example of someone loving their enemies. They would; those, those guards would certainly say he was their enemy. They imprisoned him uh, wrongfully, perhaps uh, wasn't right to do that. But they—you know—he was able to love them in that in that case. So I think abiding in Christ is the way that we find love for others. And then I'd say, second of all. Pray for it. If you if you know you're called to love someone who is very difficult to love, maybe this is someone in your family, maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate. Um, pray, ask God. God, give me love for them. Let me love that person uh, in the way in the way that you love them. Let me see it. Open my eyes and just keep praying for it. Keep abiding in Christ. Keep praying for that love uh, to be found in your heart.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I love that. So one of the things that I, I'm hearing from you that I think is really beautiful is is the A, in order to be like Christ when it comes to loving someone who is difficult to love is to make sure that you're connected to the vine, abide in Christ. Yes. And then also just almost incongruent to what we said per, uh, prior was – the god having that need for the god of the everyday so because when you have that need and you're cognizant of the fact that wow this is a difficult situation i need to press into this um i need you jesus for this very difficult situation and and sometimes it's hard for you in your own uh, in your own vessel in your own ways to actually try to love you you realize wow in this difficult way i can't do it without you jesus i can't do it without you and then even furthermore like take it on as a compliment and, and as an opportunity wow i get to be more like jesus christ in this difficult situation it's easier for me to love someone who i'm getting along with i get along with you yeah. all the time it's right. easy for me yeah. i can still be like jesus in that moment there's moments when i want to give you a hug and i'm just like <laughs> oh i just love that guy i can't wait to see him but when a time is very difficult for example like a my heart's drawn to the application piece of this. So I'm thinking about being a parent of a child who is in the throes of puberty right mm-hmm. now, and he has lots of fun. Podcast Adam. listeners, pray for Josh. Pray, <laughs> pray. I've been there. I had three girls you had in three high girls. school, in the I house. just have At one boy time. right now. Yeah, <laughs> But it, it, there's these moments when they're difficult to love, and you say, oh, wow, in this moment, A, do I, yes, I need you, Jesus. And then B, um, I need to press in, into the reality that I get to be more like you, in this difficult circumstance and the same thing goes for your marriages mm-hmm. if you're in a situation when things have amplified then you are having struggles with your spouse or there's tensions or for whatever reason it's just difficult right now don't look at that and be so down on yourself but rather look at that as the opportunity to say jesus you've invited me into this i need you today now as an opportunity for be for me to be more like you than ever before
0: so let me just say Josh that I think you've you know you brought us back in a, in a really practical and great way. Because probably few of our podcast listeners are going to find someone imprisoning them or, you know, truly, um, you know, persecuting them in that way. But it is those family relationships like marriage where we probably can find the people that we love. But in this moment, you're pretty difficult to love. Um, you, you remind me of a, a book. I just want to recommend this book to our podcast listeners. It's called Sacred Marriage. Uh, Gary Thomas, Sacred Marriage. And he poses a question. What if marriage isn't to make you happy, but to make you Holy. And he In the book, he proposes the idea that the difficulties of marriage should draw us to Christ, that if we're really struggling with our spouse, that should draw us to Christ, that that when our spouse becomes the person who can at times be difficult to love, we got to go to God, abide in Him, hear from God, be reminded. And he says in the book, I just love this quote, he, sa- he says, um, don't forget, God let you choose. God let you pick the person that you married. Uh, it Was your choice? You're the one that put, you're the one that picked him. Um, now let that relationship begin to transform who you are. So that's just a quick thought. I know we have oh, a, one more yeah. question you want to get we into have it another question. Yeah,
1: one hundred percent. Yeah, but just one last little comment on that. When when things are difficult, you can't go to that person in your marriage to be the source. Of the solution. You have to go to God to be the source of the solution. So, not only is it an opportunity to be more like Christ, but it is an opportunity to go to the actual appropriate source rather than taking your question to the spouse to be validated by them. You need to be validated by Christ and be instructed by Christ in order to be more like Christ in that difficult situation. Absolutely. That's beautiful. We do have one last closeout um, question and comment. So, on Saturday night, you made the statement that it is more important that we know who we are loving into the kingdom. Can you elaborate a little bit more
0: about that? Yeah, Saturday night I, I used an illustration of the church in China uh, under persecution, uh, kind of under the idea of uh, faith that works, faith uh, moving into action, and how the Chinese church had to go underground to a house church movement. But they saw Christians go from two million to sixty million uh, under deep persecution. And I gave the principles for a house church. And the fourth one I didn't do it Sunday morning. Didn't didn't make it Sunday morning. But I, the fourth one that I share was. The fourth principle of a Chinese house church is to know who you're loving into the kingdom, um, and that was it. that's a major principle for um, churches everywhere, even in America, even right here. Is is that it's good for us to be strategic in the fact that we know we know who God is calling us to invite to church, to to love on, uh, to spend time with whatever in our context love loving them really looks like. Um, if it's if it's your neighbor who's a um, you know recently widowed and you go rake her let rake her lawn because that's how God's calling you to love her, um, that's the way you're loving her. If it's if it's a, a lonely person that you're that is a coworker and you're like, hey, let's go to lunch and let's go let's hang out. That's how you're loving them. How you love them can look different, but it's that you know God's calling you to a person to then be be the one that can invite them to church to share about Christ, to really speak into their life through the love that you're giving them. Um, I'm just thinking about my dad. Actually, Josh, as I'm, as I'm saying this, um, my parents lived on Loudoun street in Granville for about 32 years. As a matter of fact, I'm sorry, no, 23 years. I don't know why I jumped at 32. I switched. Okay, a little dyslexia. Mild dyslexia. Yeah. A little bit of mild dyslexia in, the, in that years, 23 years. Um, but their neighbor, uh, uh was a his, his entire family had accepted Christ except the, the dad, and my dad just took him on as his uh, Christian project was to share Christ with him, love him, tease him, build a relationship with him, and really just took on that relationship. That's that's one person at that time. My dad's pastoring a large church; he's doing all kinds of Christian ministry, but he still knew there are people. That was my neighbor in this case. I'm just pouring out my heart. I'm spending time with him. I'm talking to him. I'm inviting him to church. I'm, I'm bringing the gospel. And when that man was baptized and he accepted Christ, his entire family uh, just said, thank you. Th- thank you that you took on this project from God to reach out and to reach someone that was far, far from God. We should know that too. Who, who specifically, beyond everything else we're doing, who specifically that doesn't know Christ is God calling us to love into the kingdom it's a great question for each of us so hmm. podcast listeners i'm going to pray and i'm going to ask you as i pray and as i pause in this prayer that you would ask god who is a god maybe it's one of your children maybe it's a parent maybe it's a coworker, like i mentioned before but who a neighbor who is it who's god calling you to love into the kingdom do you mind josh if i just close out in prayer
1: definitely let's go for it uh, let's pray Father, we
0: thank you uh, for this podcast and we thank you for the ability to talk through the message we um, heard or or preached, in my case, this past weekend, and we just ask God for further wisdom from James chapter 2. But right now, God, on this point of loving someone into the kingdom, I pray every person listening to this podcast, as I pause now, they would, in that pause, pray and say, God, show me. Reveal a name to me. Bring a face to mind. Who are you calling me to love into the kingdom right now. Here's the pause. Father, we thank you for all the work you do in our lives, and we thank you for this time to connect with you and with each other. I pray those listening heard our hearts, that, God, they matter, that they matter to you, and that they are critically important, God, in your plan to reach this world with the love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.
1: A Amen. And thank you so much for joining us on today's Going Deeper podcast episode. Just remember that faith that works is faith that loves, not judges. And please reimagine how we should view others. And thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. If you are interested in submitting questions for our pastors to answer, and you are a member of our church, please feel free to email me at joshm at springhillschurch.org or info at springhillschurch.org. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. On this episode, please remember, more important than anything else, you are welcomed here, you are loved, and you matter.